Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. We'll read the first six verses. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. And here's our text for this morning. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Father, we bow before you humbly. But Father, we also approach you boldly because of your Son. And so Lord, what we ask is that you would expose to us the areas of our life that need changing. And Father, reveal to us the very issues and the very things that perhaps we're clinging so tightly to when it ought to be You to whom we cling. We pray that You would work in our hearts today, Lord. Meet with us, we pray. It's in Your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here we are. We find ourselves in... Uh, now at an, another Old Testament character. And as we make our way through Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to note many of these Old Testament uh, saints who have gone before. They revealed to us uh, different things as far as their life of faith and what they did uh, and uh, what uh, made their faith evident. I think what we find here in the book of Hebrews is exactly what James was talking about when he said, faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of times people misunderstand what James is talking about when he refers to Abraham being justified by his works, where Paul in the book of Romans refers to Abraham being justified by his faith. Well, James also says the uh, being justified by faith, uh, but what James was referring to was our justification is not brought about in the sight of God by our works, rather justification before man, and maybe even to say it this way, how do I know I am justified? And so the justification, he was justified in his claim of faith because of what he did. We find ourselves here with someone that has very little really uh, said about him. Little is known about Enoch. The writer of Hebrews includes him in his list of examples. Uh, The inclusion, no doubt, has a great deal to do with the statement that we find at the end of verse number 5. So look there with me again, if you would, because this is something that we should not overlook. Notice what is said here in verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. So often this is where we stop. That's not the emphasis. Look at the second portion here. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, we can focus in on that translation, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in a moment, but the real jewel in this uh, in this text, the real gem that we can grab hold of is what is said about him that he had a testimony. He was known for. His reputation was someone who pleased God. That's a beautiful thing. 
Many times we become fixated on the idea of Enoch being translated, but we quickly lose sight of the bigger emphasis, namely why he was translated. Now, let's go ahead and get this out in the open, the idea of translation. Translation was not always uh, in reference to uh, language. We, we take things such as, you know, translation. We say, well, somebody is speaking in one language and then translated to another, la- to another language. The idea of translation really carries a whole broader context of it than this. Uh, and so uh, the idea of translation is translation means taken from one and placed in another. Now, we can use this in language. It is taken from one language. So if I was to say to you certain words in a different language, you may not understand the, the, the uh, meaning behind it. For example, did you know that in your Old Testament, uh, uh, there is actually a verse that says God has long nose holes? Have you ever read this? Have you ever read in your Bible anywhere that says God's nose holes are long? You all missed that one. Well, see, the, the, the transliteration is God has length of nostrils. Have you ever been so upset and so angry, so just ready to go crazy, but you decided to restrain yourself and you... Your nose holes flare? You know, you, when daddy's nose holes get big, you know you in trouble. Yeah. We translate it, God is long-suffering. Have you ever read that God is long-suffering? You see, it was taken, the idea, the, the meaning behind the translation was taken and put in your wording. Makes a little more sense that way. So the idea of translation is not only in, in regards to words, but you can translate or convey or transfer something to some other place. This is this word for translation. And so when we get ourselves fixated on some of these words, it's like, what's it mean? How do you translate a person? You know, He was removed from one place and placed in another. But that's not the emphasis of the passage. Again, so many times we can get fixated on the minutiae. In Genesis 5, if you want to go back to Genesis 5 with me, you're going to find a little bit more information about Enoch. Now, Enoch is mentioned only a handful of times in the Word of God. It's uh, back here in Genesis chapter 5, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we just read. Uh, there's only a couple other places in the book of Luke, in the genealogy of Jesus that goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, you find Enoch mentioned there in the book of Luke. Uh, you also find a different spelling of Enoch's name, Henoch, uh, in First Chronicles, in a genealogy there. And so you're going to find Enoch very little in the Word of God, but something is given to us on this. You'll also find him mentioned in the book of Jude as having prophetically spoken about a group of people in some, in, in some state. But here in Genesis 5, we read rather monotonously. If you were to look at Genesis 5, you, you could read all through that, and you would find uh, certain people lived, and they died. Certain people lived, and they died. For example, uh, you find uh, in verse 15, Mahalil. Uh, lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. Look at verse 17, and he died. Uh, verse 14, Canaan, and he died. Verse 11, talking about Enos, and he died. Uh, verse uh, uh, 8, talking about Seth, and he died. Uh, verse 5, talking about Adam, and he died. You can keep on going through all this, and it, it just gets a little monotonous. This guy lived, he lived this long, he had this many kids, and he died. But when you get down here to verse 21, something changes. Notice verse 21 with me in Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. 
and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, so many people get hung up on different areas here, but here's what I want to look at. Okay, he died, he died, he died, he died, he died, he died, he took. Something took place here. Something was different in regards to Enoch. And I think that difference is seen in what it says about Enoch. You'll notice there in verse 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God. Now, I want to be very careful before we go any further, and we'll, we'll, we'll visit this a little bit more as we go, but this is not saying that he earned salvation. Let's, let's just go ahead and understand what is not being said. It only says that God took him. It says that he walked with God leading up to this moment, and then God took him. And so we want to look at this because the question that comes to mind, this is kind of where I would like to get everybody's mind uh, moving is, is there a life that is more pleasing to God? You see, we live in a day and age of of this, I'm okay, you're okay, we all just God's children, we just trying to move along the same way you, you know, you're, you're doing fine just the way you are, I'm doing fine just the way I am, you don't need to change, I don't need to change, we all just happy. I'm sorry, but there is a life that pleases God more. And Enoch lived that life. And so let's look at this uh, from the idea of, uh, of a life that is more pleasing to God. Because many struggle today with what they must do to be pleasing to God. Many struggle today with what rules they need to follow, what practices they need to keep, uh, what, what vices they need to avoid, uh, who they listen to, who they don't listen to, which music they, uh, they, uh, they partake of, which version they carry, which this, that, the other. They keep inserting things. But let me tell you something. Uh, the fact that you listen to one style of music over another style of music, the fact that you do something or don't do something is all secondary. That all needs to be said over here for just a moment. How many times have you known someone fresh into uh, God's house? They just met Christ for the first time. They are hungry to learn more about Jesus Christ. And what do people do? They start telling them what they do and don't do, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what they should avoid. Introduce them to Jesus. Jesus will start taking care of the other stuff. Jesus will start weeding out those things. But this is not, this point should be abundantly clear by now that salvation does not come by works. It should, by by this stage of the book of Hebrews, we should know uh, assuredly that works do not save. But still, works don't necessarily earn salvation. But they are the result of salvation. For me to initiate, or let me, let, that's a bad way of saying it because God's the one that initiates. For me to uh, have a relationship with Christ insinuates that the relationship will continue with Christ. I don't start something and that's good enough. I don't get to one place and then I'm, I'm, I'm fine from now on. I, that, that's not, that doesn't make any logical sense. If uh, on uh, June 6, 2000, uh, or June 10th, 2006, if I had, uh, proposed, I had made my, my, uh, quoted out my vows. I had uh, said the I do's. The preacher even said, you may kiss your bride. And my wife and I were then pronounced husband and wife. Uh, would it make any sense for me to go, well, we'll see you later. Got that done. I'm married now. Uh, you can go home. I'm going to go back to my place. That wouldn't make any sense. That's foolishness. So why would we think that it would work any differently with God? For me to begin my, my relationship with Christ, 
but then not to continue it. And so works don't save, but they are evidence of salvation. But in addition to that, that continual walk with him and that closeness and that fellowship that I enjoy. That's on you, bub. God is forever offering himself, forever extending his hand. Walk with me. But still, so many do not grasp the idea of pleasing God. They're so fixated on what a Christian does that they never learn the primary concept of a life lived by faith. Note the progression that is seen here with Enoch first. If you look there in verse number 21, it says, And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, I want you to note this progression because here we have a man at 65 years of age. He fathers Methuselah and then 300 years of walking with God. And then God translated him. Then God spared him from death by taking him. Prior to this uh, 65-year-old becoming a father, perhaps Enoch did not walk with God. We don't know. We are given this information that he walked after he had begun Methuselah 300 years. Perhaps he walked with God 365 years. I don't know. But the insinuation is that at 65, he became a father and something changed. Something changed in Enoch's life. Something took place here. Prior to this, perhaps he didn't. But you see, here's the thing. Many people, they do not walk with God. They drag him along. And perhaps at 65, that's when Enoch figured something out. I've been trying to take God with me. Now I'm going to walk with him. You see, there's a difference. And I think the biggest issue is in this idea of what I do as opposed to simply who I am. I like to liken it to a pyramid. And if you start with the, with the, with the pyramid, you start with the bottom level, that's our B level. And we have to understand being before we can ever understand the rest of it. And so as I look at this, uh, go ahead and bring that in that uh, little graphic up there, will you? Um, let's start this way. Now look at here. We've got the B. Being is simply that. I am His. I am one of God's. I am one of Christ's beloved. I have become a child of God. This is where I start. So many people, they get, uh, they start to come to church, and what do we do? We, oh, here's a warm body. Let's plug them in and get them working. You're going to teach Sunday school and put you right in there. We haven't taught them how to be a child of God yet. The second step on the B, once I know who I am, then I will naturally start to do certain things. So the B takes place first, and then the do. Have you ever had someone who has come to know Christ as their Savior? They come up to you without any prompting. No one has told them anything, and they said something like, you know, I really feel like I need to give this up. I really feel like I should stop fill in the blank. No one came to them and said, you need to stop doing this. They just automatically, because of the change that God starts to make in their heart, they automatically come to this place where they say, I I, I need to do something different here. There's a change. My wife was talking about her dad when he got saved. She said, I saw something different. I saw him change. The third part of this is serve. So after I have grasped being, then I start the doing. Now I move on to the serving. That's my third level. So many people, it's like, okay, we get somebody saved. Now let's get them to serve. Let's start putting them in a ministry position. Let's start, well, slow down. Let's make sure they understand who they are in Christ first. 
And then as they start to show evidence that they are Christ by nothing of my prodding, then they'll begin to serve him. They'll begin to look for ways to serve God. So many people get these things backwards. And then the third part of this is train. In other words, teach others how to serve, right? No. Teaching others how to be. You see, we get this so often. We get these things out of whack. We get people who, who just hear about Christ and they want to be part of the group. I remember going and visiting a friend's church for a little while. And uh, he was active in the children's ministry. I came in just to visit. I was from out of town, came in to visit. And they said, here's a T-shirt. You work with the kids' ministry too. Cool. I'm a children's worker. They have no idea if I'm atheist or not. No clue. Just decided, you're a warm body. Let's put you in with these kids. I could have been in there teaching them anything. They wouldn't have known. And frankly, preacher, I don't know if they would have cared. We've got to get this thing right. Continuing from this, uh, let's look, look at something else here. There's something that took place, like I said, with Enoch becoming a father. Something triggered at that stage in his life. It's one thing for me to embrace being a witness to other people, but can I tell you something, my friends? There's a whole different ball of wax when I am now charged with guiding others to meet Christ, to direct them to know their Creator. Listen, if parenthood doesn't change you, nothing will. If parenthood doesn't wake you up to the reality that you need to get it right, nothing will. The conversations that I have with my children around the table when they ask questions and they're like, but why this and why that? And I don't understand this and I don't get that. And this is said over here, but this doesn't make sense with that. That's when I am faced with having to get it figured out right. But I cannot, as someone who has been entrusted with little minds, little hearts, little souls, I cannot just say, oh, we'll just have to figure it out later, I guess. And my walk with my Savior needs to be so close that I can effectively guide them to a walk with their Savior. There's a lot of parents who are not close to God trying to expect their children to be close to God. There's a lot of parents doing the devil's life expecting their children to live like saints. There's a lot of children doing what they know, a lot of parents doing what they know they ought not to be doing, and doing it not even in secret. They're living it out in public for their kids and everybody to see, but they're expecting their children to do better. When I read this, I see that Enoch took seriously his role as a father. Who knows, maybe after 65 years of making mistakes, here he is holding that little one. <laughs> Whoa. I can't do this. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say to them. I'm not sure what to tell them. Will you help me? Maybe that's what changed in his life at 65. You see, what is said of Enoch and of his life is that he had a testimony. The testimony simply says that he was known for, or better yet, he had a reputation of pleasing God. Let me ask you this. Could people honestly say that you 
please God. Could people honestly say that of you? When this life is over and your eulogy is being read, what will your reputation be? What will your testimony be? You know, the old um, poem many times is read at a funeral. What will your dash read? When this life is over, will people look back and say, man, he pleased God. Or will people say, man, he was a sporting nut. Oh, man, she just, she was a gossip. What, what, that person was opinionated. Oh, yeah, I love him to death, but boy, were they opinionated. Oh, they were such a clean freak. Oh, they were such, that guy was hardworking, hardworking. Oh, she was so smart, so pretty. Man, he was talented. She did everything she could to please the Lord. He lived a life trying to make his God smile. Could that be said of you? You see, I want you to notice the pursuit of Enoch in this. All that we are told is that Enoch walked with God. We are not told whether he believed in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We're not told whether his wife wore pants and makeup. We're not told what's, uh, what, uh, uh, what kind of hairstyle he had or those in his family had. And guess what? We have no idea who he voted for last election. But we do know he walked with God. A lot of people, the only thing you'll be able to remember about them is who they voted for who their favorite band was, who their favorite sports team was. At a funeral not too long ago, preacher, everything was Steelers. Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. And I thought, must not have been too bad of a guy. But that's what he was remembered for. Steelers. The pursuit of Enoch, though, he did not pursue being taken away. He pursued God. That's what his pursuit was. He pursued a hand-in-hand walk in relationship with his creator. That's what he wanted out of life. You never read anywhere where it's like, okay, you know what? If I do this, then God's going to spare me from death. If I do this, then God's going to give me extra money. If I do this, then God's going to... No, 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 my friend. He pursued God. If he pursued anything else, I don't think you would read about God taking him, for he pleased him. What pleased God? Look back with me, if you would, here in the book of Hebrews. Notice what is said of Enoch in verse number 6. It says, um, I'm sorry, verse number 5. It says, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You know, verse 5 and verse 6 should not be divided. Because it connects with what the, uh, the verse six connects with what is saying. It's talking about Enoch pleasing God. How is Enoch able to please God? Verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. While it is true that many have pleased God and not been translated, it is also true that the translation would not have taken place were it not for his pleasing God. You see, many chase knowledge. They pursue feelings. Enoch didn't pursue this. He pursued God. I, I can kind of picture in my mind's eye, uh, you know, a little boy who just who who wants everything to just make his dad happy, to please his dad. And everywhere his dad goes, his son's walking along, going, "What can I do for you?" Can, 
can I help you today? Do you, do you have anything I can help you with? Oh, can, can I be the, let, let me hit the, let me hit the nail for you, dad. That's my son. I love him to death. Scares me to no end. In many ways. But I'll be out and I'll get ready to do something. I was making something for my wife the other day. And I go out and I said, come on, Gabe, let's go make something for your mama. We go out and he's, he's I'll, I'll do the cutting for you, Dad. I'll pick that up for you, Dad. I'll do the drilling for you, Dad. I'll do the hammering for you, Dad. Just everything. I can kind of see that with Enoch as he's trying to get closer to God. What can I do for you? Uh, what can I change about me that would make you happier? Uh, what, what could I do to please you more today than I did yesterday? I believe that's the life he lived. When he was exposed to problems in his life, he didn't go, eh, I'll take care of that later. He said, oh, let me take care of that for you now. Let me address that. I'll, 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 I'll fix it now. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to put it off till next week. I'm not going to wait until it's better timing in my life. I believe that's the life that he lived. A life of obedience. That's faith. That's accepting God at his word. Get this, and many people do not want to understand this, but it's true. You cannot be hostile toward God's word and be pleasing to God. You can't. When God's word says thou shalt and you, you do it anyway, you don't do it, guess what? You're not pleasing to God. When God's word says thou shalt not and you do whatever you want to do, guess what? You cannot please him. Faith is saying, I may not understand it, I may not get it, I may not even want to do it, but you said to do it, and I trust you enough to obey. That's faith. Faith is not, well, let me figure this out. Let me, well, that's a, his, let me, uh, what's the historical context of that? Can you omit this from our wedding vows? Because that was for them. We're in a different day. Ah, preacher, don't preach on that portion of Scripture. That's going to make me uncomfortable. Faith acknowledges what the Word says and does it. You can't be at odds with this book and still be pleasing. Thou desirest not sacrifice, else what I give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. David got it all the way back then. Many chase knowledge, pursue feelings. Some just want the outcome. I've asked people this before. Would you still want to go to heaven if God wasn't there? And believe it or not, I've had people say, well, yeah, it's heaven after all. My friend, they're not pursuing God. Heaven isn't heaven without him being there. People who are quick to say, well, yeah, I'd still want to go to heaven even if God wasn't there. They don't want God. They want the effects of God. They want the blessings of God. They want the gifts of God, but they're not walking with God. Let's ask, let's make it a little more personal. Would you desire your child to have a solid walk with Christ if you knew it meant he was going to be a pauper for the rest of his existence? Would you want your daughter to have a close, intimate walk with Christ if you knew it meant she was going to die alone, unloved, unwanted by anyone in this world, hated and rejected? 
It's a little more difficult now, doesn't it? Would you want to have a relationship with your Creator if you knew everything else was gone? All of the money that's in your checking account. All that extra silver and gold that you've got stashed away. Those IRAs and Roth IRAs, they're depleted. The car's broken down, no chance of repair, and the house just burnt to the ground. And the insurance premium wasn't paid. You have nothing. But him. You still want him? That's a pursuit of Christ. That's pursuing God. And I believe that's the life Enoch lived. Notice the faith of Enoch, and then we'll get ready to make our close. So what is it exactly that pleased God? Would you look here in Hebrews chapter 10? Drop back to verse 38. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. A life of living this way. You see, to walk with someone, Amos 3, 3 says this, says it this way, says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's not about, well, this is what I think, and let me see if I can find the Bible, uh, enough Bible verses to back up what I think. It's about looking at the Word of God and you agreeing with it. Look, you and I ain't perfect. And so for us to wait around for God to agree with our way of thinking, with our stance, with our social dogmas, for us to be waiting around for that to happen, we're going to be waiting a long time, my friends. But he has already set things the way he wants it. He has already told us what, uh, what he expects of us. Micah 6, 8 says to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Humbly. Agreement. I'm wrong. You never are. You cannot be hostile toward God's word and please him. But it is also impossible, catch this, for an unbeliever to please God. That's a toe that gets hurt. But my friend is a good person, and I think God will be okay. No, 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 no. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Let's try it one more time, because this is something we have to get. Without faith, it's impossible. Now, there's some unbelievers that can do good things. Yeah, granted. There's some unbelievers that know how to love people in ways that certain people who claim to be believers don't know how to love people. But that doesn't mean they're pleasing God. Unless you are willing to come to God's way of thinking and take Him at His word, you cannot please Him. And it tells us two things here. One, it says to believe that he is. Do you see that in verse 6? Uh, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. This is the, um, this is the third person version of the ego ami statement that John, uh, that, uh, John records for us when Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. The ego ami, I exist. It is the being verb. And so basically it's saying you got to believe that God really exists. But it's not just a matter of Admitting a fact, believing God exists is more than just admitting a fact. It is embracing a reality. It's one thing to say, yeah, sure, God exists. Sure. 
It's another thing to live like God exists. Do you still believe God exists when you're telling your boss lies about taking a day off or about not getting something done and you're filling him, filling his ear full of untruth? Do you believe God exists at that moment? Do you believe God exists when you're home alone doing whatever you want to do? Do you believe God exists when you fill in the blank? If he exists, then he has the right to make the rules. And so when his word tells me that I ought not to be doing something, he has every right to tell me, knock it off. He is the maker. He knows what he made. He knows why he made it. He knows how it should be utilized. People say, well, who who are you to decide who should and who shouldn't get married? I don't decide none of it. God did, and I just agree with it. It's not my decision on who can and who can't get married. It's God's decision. Well, who put him in charge? Duh. He's God. Of course he's in charge. Well, I didn't vote for him. See how that turns out in the afterlife. But not only that, but you trust that he rewards this faithful obedience. You see that? And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I like to imagine Enoch holding that little baby Methuselah. Kind of hard to think of a 969-year-old man as a baby. But he was at one point. (laughs) Kind of hard to imagine some of y'all. No, I'm just kidding. I think Jeff was born an old man. But understand this. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward. We know our rewards, though, are eternal. You can go back into 1 Corinthians. And for sake of time, I'm just going to tell you, read 1 Corinthians 4 and 10. Read about those eternal rewards. But for right now, understand this. I believe he he had the walk with God. He is already saved. And that walk brought him a reward. So where do we go with this? See, many times we're we're presented with God's Word, and then we just move on. Okay, well, that was was nice. Yeah, you know, I never really thought of it from that angle, preacher. Uh, You know what? I'll chew on this. I'll think about it. I'll think about it, and I'll get back to you. No, and you won't. You know, let let me think about this, and I'll, I'll make some decisions later because I think that there's some things that I might need to, whoa, if something has been put on your heart this morning. When the preacher was talking about this, I know this is what is in my life that needs changed. And you walk away from here, having not addressed it, you have said no to God. And that's not pleasing. Well, what am I supposed to do then? First, you need to understand that from this moment on, you are forever responsible with the truth that you have been given. To reject His Word is to reject Him. If His Word says, do something, and you know in your heart of hearts you're not. Anything that's not a faith is sin. Romans 14. Understand that you're forever responsible for this. When you face God, there will be no excuse. Well, I was going to take care of that this week. Take care of it now. Get it ironed out now. Let's look at three things, and we'll close. 
What are we supposed to do about this? What about you personally? You. Catch this. Number one. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? This is where it all begins. Don't even worry about the rest of it if that's not taken care of. Well, you know, I prayed a prayer a long time ago, Pastor, but I've not lived a life like that. You sure that prayer hit anything more than the ceiling? Because perhaps you were not sincere. Well, Pastor, I I think I'm a child of God. Don't think. No. And until you're able to sit down and you say, I know for sure, I am completely assured. Until you're able to sit down and say, I know Christ has saved me. Don't move on. Exhaust that book till the pages are falling out until you get that settled. Don't move on to, is it right to do this or to do that? Am I allowed to have this, allowed to have that? Stop. Get salvation ironed out. What you do is different from who you are. Maybe instead of looking at these are the things that I do, maybe you should look at the things that you don't do. And I'm not talking about the things that you quit doing. I'm talking about the things that you're not willing to do. The Bible tells you no ands, ifs, or buts that something is wrong, but you still do it anyway. You don't listen. Maybe that's what we need to look at. Examine it. But the second thing is, what are you pursuing? Not only are you a child of God, but what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing a home in heaven? Are you pursuing peace of mind? Are you pursuing feeling better about yourself? Are you pursuing success? Or are you pursuing an intimate walk with Christ? My wife's birthday. Me and the kids all gave her index cards. That was it. No, we gave her more than that. But no, we gave gave her index cards from each of us. And simply on there was a place for her to put three things that would show her we love her. One of them, I am forever, I bite the cuticles, you know. drives her nuts. And I was expecting when I when I you know gave her this card, I was expecting her to give me some, you know, grand thing. She says, quit spitting your fingernails. Okay. Caught myself the other day going. Now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh, that's not disgusting. I do it all the time. Well, that's okay. You can eat your skin if you want to. I don't want to. But if I know it bothers her, yet I continue to do it, do I love her? If I know it bothers him, yet I continue to do it, can I say I love him? Third, are you living by faith? Or are you still holding on to your will? Are you living, willing to come to His way? Or are you still trying to do it yours? That's the life of Enoch. A life that pleases God. I don't know about you. I so hope when my eulogy is read, someone would think he tried to live a life pleasing to God. Somewhere in the midst of He did this, he did that, he liked this, he liked that. 
someone would say, oh, he adored his Savior and just wanted to make him smile. That's the life that pleases God. Let's live it. Father, I know you absolutely adore your children. Father, help us to live in such a way to where we show that we too love you. I pray, Father, that we would be honest about this. That we would see those areas in our life that perhaps you just are not, you're not pleased with. We would note those things. And not just think about it, not just pray about it, but that we would address it. We would forsake self. Humbly obey you. We pray these things, Lord, in your Son's name, believing, because we're not asking them for our own benefit. We're asking them because we believe Jesus is worthy of our attention. We love Him. And we want to show this love by obeying Him. So as He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So Father, we ask that You would expose these things to us. Remove sleep from us. Don't let our eyes close until we address what needs to be addressed. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.